to the Web3 Prof Podcast. Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for being with me here today at the Web3 Prof Podcast. I'm here with Kay Kamani, who is advisor at Phoenix and a managing director at Hashworks. And we're going to learn a little bit about Kay today, as well as uh, some of these organizations that he is with. Kay, thanks for being with me here today. Thanks, Jared. Thank you very much for having me. And also thanks to your listeners. So, okay, why don't we kick things off with just hearing a little bit about um, your history. How did you get into the space of blockchain? How did you get into this space? Absolutely. So uh, going back to around 2005, 2006, that's where I started my uh, career in high finance. I was working at JP Morgan. I did my time at Goldman Sachs as well. And it was a very traditional sort of financial role. Um, when I left in 2012, uh, we got into I had a failed startup. It was called Bug Score. We wanted to score everything on this planet. Um, that didn't work out, as you know, ha it happens in entrepreneurship. And then we pivoted towards financial algorithms in around 2014 or so. And in 2014, 2015, we noticed that there was a big problem with financial brokers, so retail brokers that take retail traders, not the institutional side of things. Um, they were holding your deposits and they were playing a lot of games with your deposits, stop hunting, making sure basically retail traders lose. The problem was specifically bad in binary options. It was a very big industry back in 2014, 15, 16, uh, where it was just brokers fleecing people for the money. It was just uh, intellectual theft, if you want to call it that. The trader never had a chance. So today, if you go to retail brokers, uh, foreign exchange brokers, equity brokers, 85% approximately, it ranges from 75 to 95%, but 85% of retail traders basically lose money when they trade. And a lot of this has to do with the lack of sophistication needed to actually speculate correctly on trading, mm. uh, emotion control. But a lot of that also has to do with the games that brokers play. To your question, in 2016, uh, we noticed that the blockchain, what, what Ether I think Ethereum had just had their ICO. Don't quote me on that, but maybe 2015, 2016. Mm. And we saw that it was possible through smart contracts to actually completely remove the broker from the equation and allow people to trade from their wallet against a decentralized autonomous liquidity pool. That was an idea that was very novel back then uh, because we didn't users didn't need to send their deposit anymore to a centralized institution or party. Mm -hmm. So their deposit was safe with them and they could trade on a trade-by-trade -trade basis against a decentralized pool of liquidity. That was the idea. That idea took very well um, and we basically pivoted to the blockchain. At that time, our company was profitable, which is good, and that helped us um, raise a substantial sum of capital at, at that point for a project known as Spectre, which eventually became Phoenix. So it has a long evolutionary history. And through that project, we basically removed the broker from the equation. We allowed retail traders to trade uh, online without the, needing, without the need to deposit, basically, uh, at, at the broker. So that's how we got into blockchain. Our entire team learned a lot about solidity, a lot about web back then. Of course, it was very early, but we learned about how decentralized smart contracts work, how the process of decentralization works, and of course, Bitcoin mining, all of that. It was a great time. We learned everything about the space, all the funny terminologies like HODL and and, mm. and all of that. So it was it was very fun. It's been, it's been fantastic. Um, there's no other sector I'd like to be part of. But what we, of course, realized is ultimately, what people really like is the ability to make money through financial trading, but without having to trade themselves. Ideally, passive income online yield effectively is what traders would ideally want. And right. 
DeFi. We can get into this later, but I hope that gives you a bit of an introduction. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so uh, that, that's a great uh, history of, of kind of how you got here. When we look at kind of the current state of blockchain today, um, there's uh, all kinds of, it's kind of like building on shifting sands as this is, we're, we're in the early days of uh, technology uh, that we're working in here. What do you see today as some of the major trends shaping the evolution of blockchain? I would say that at this moment, uh, regulation is key. So as you said, it's, it's all about shifting stands. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. there has been three steps forward, two steps back. Mm -hmm. In some occasions, two steps forward and three steps back. Um, first and foremost, we are getting proper regulation in the OECD nations, and it's pretty overarching and it's pretty uniform. Now, that has taken a long time, but as we see now, we are at the precipice of potentially a major Bitcoin boom, a major boom in the sector, again, driven by ETFs once the ETF approvals happen. That will allow institutional money and more smart capital to flow into the space. So I think the future of blockchain is very bright. And I say that not only because we're getting a regulated industry and asset class, finally, but very importantly, also from a technological standpoint, if you look at all the work Ethereum.org has done with top organizations for over seven, eight years now, if you look at their work with JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, a lot of a lot of industry players as well, they have really learned the nuts and bolts of decentralization and smart contracts, and they are building their own applications using the blockchain. Uh, we see land registries around the world that are moving towards blockchain-based land registries where countries have a problem with uh, allocating houses to person A to person B. We have food supply chain issues being mitigated by blockchain-based solutions. We have blockchain now entering or percolating slowly through the landscape. And it's it's been a very slow process, but I think it is moving definitely in, in the right direction. That's where we're headed. Finally, just on this, I would say, given where Web3 is headed, given blockchain is so intricately linked with Web3.0, the concepts of digital identity, own your identity, not having to put in passwords online on different websites. Um, and of course, NFTs, where you can actually own art physically, so to put it, uh, or it's definitely yours fungibly. This is, these are all, uh, I believe, important trends. Uh, they are trends that especially today's generation is very excited by, uh, empowered by. And I think blockchain, again, is, is, is at the heart of this. So it's a bright future for blockchain, but it's been a painful road. When you um, talk about you know the upcoming Bitcoin ETF uh, potential uh, in the United States, what's the current state in, in the UK and in Europe as far as uh, retail investors investing into Bitcoin? Very difficult. So I can tell you from my own perspective that we, so it was easier two or three years ago. What we have seen is because the regulation hasn't been uniform until very recently, certainly in the UK, but also in other regions in Europe countries, um, is that the fiat on-ramps and the off-ramps, so the ability to get fiat into a crypto exchange, for example, or to sell your Bitcoin or crypto exchange and get that money back into the banking system, that has gotten much, much harder. And it's not because of the retail traders being bad actors or not having KYC documents or anything. It's just banks have become very risk averse working with the major exchanges, mm. the major centralized exchanges. And so in answer to your question, it's become tougher. It's become tougher. And this is why the advent of ETFs is so important. Uh, it's a seminal moment in blockchain because Obviously, once that gets approved in the US, everything will flow in, in Europe as well. The London financial markets are mirrored in New York, so they pretty much copy what happens in New York. So mm. we're looking forward uh, to that. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, we've seen a lot of attacks and a lot of abuse in, in blockchain. There's been all kinds of scams and I don't, I don't think we need to go through the list, but I think we're all aware that the space has been fragile in this regard um, with bad actors and misuses. Um, how has the blockchain space been affected by these abuses? What, what measures need to be taken? And you've kind of spoken and alluded to regulation in order to it's mitigate a, some of these issues in the future. It's such an important question. It's a, it's a great point. So we have, we can attack that question from different areas. So firstly, I think it has been misused this, this, I won't say excuse, but it is true that yes, criminals do use Bitcoin uh, to obfuscate uh, financial transactions to empower some of their illegitimate activities and the politicians, they love that because that allows them to go after Bitcoin, as you know, and say, oh, look, this Bitcoin is used for this or Ethereum is used for that. In reality, cash, literally physical wads of cash have been used for illicit activities for hundreds of years, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and so this, the, I think this is just a, a lame excuse. Having said that, unfortunately, because a, lot of act, uh, because a lot of the transactions are not under the SWIFT system, the banking system or anything like that, a lot of illicit activity does happen. And I think because if you look at a lot of Web 3.0 projects, um, the teams are unknown. And this is one thing that I don't like is that they're they're just not docs. So you don't know who's yeah. behind the project. There is no responsibility. There is no culpability if things go wrong. And I think this is actually hurting the space because even the best projects, a lot of the best projects, you don't know who's actually behind it. Some of the billion dollar projects, you have some Telegram handle or you have a Twitter handle. You just don't know who's behind it until the day they get docs. And I think this is really escaping responsibility. Uh, and I think that is something that needs to improve for sure. I, I really believe that is important because when you are doxxed, you're going to put your best foot forward. And when you're not, it is in human nature, unfortunately, to just, you know, cut corners. Uh, and we see that with so many projects rugging the meme coins. We see uh, even very legitimate projects having severe issues like FTX had. Uh, and also, I believe it was uh, Celsius, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. A lot of these projects where you even had docs teams, they just, uh, you know, you had moral hazard kicking in. I mean, that's the thing, like even even when people are doxxed, we're still having these kind of scammy issues. And, and like you said, you know, politicians love to maybe point to the fact that, you know, Bitcoin is used in criminal organizations. Um, and what the reality is, is that so, as you said, cash is still the largest area of fraud in the world. Um, you know, crypto transactions don't even come close to what people have done um, and are able to do currently in cash. And so it is a bit of an easy target, isn't it? It is. It is. It, it absolutely is. So, um, so many investors are drawn to yield platforms, uh, love to see the returns. You know, some days you can see a hundred percent return on a meme coin. Um, <laughs> not, not a, not a bad, not a bad investment if you can time it right. Uh, but lots of these platforms have faced challenges. Um, can you maybe explain or elaborate why certain yield platforms, um, aspects like staking, um, have faced challenges, uh, maybe why they haven't performed as expected um, and, and some of the factors contributing to this? I think the, the underlying model is, is pretty flawed and uh, very simply put. So what these fledgling projects or new projects, how they attract capital to their DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization Treasuries, which is their, their main goal, is that they basically say, okay, if you stake this token, don't sell it, please don't sell the token, Stake the token and we'll pay you 100% a year or we'll pay you 200%. Okay. 
5% of that is real money, USDC, let's say, or USDT, which they basically are recycling from the money they've raised and from their pre-seed, or it's part of their marketing budget. Mm. And the rest of that, that quantum, that 95% or 120% or whatever crazy APY that you're earning is actually just paid in their token. And there are creative ways that they will use that even when you get those tokens, you don't sell them, right? So there's a secondary market, you can stake that as well. Um, and it basically becomes very self-referential. Ultimately, what people want is they want to be able to convert that 95% APY into hard cash that they can pay their bills with and buy Lambos or whatever it is, right? So people want money that they can spend in the economy. You cannot yeah. spend uh, those tokens in the economy for many years to come. Yeah. So what happens is that there's a lot of immense selling pressure over time on the token. And mm. so this 95% APY that you see, 150% or even crazy levels like 50, 60%, they're not sustainable. You will be able to make that APY for a few weeks, maybe even a few months. Um, time being a great example, time was a project at the last DeFi uh, bubble in 2021. Yep. The APY was 16,000% compounded. <laughs> our firm actually, not our firm specifically, but one of the projects that we advise specifically made something like 125K from an investment of 15K in three weeks. But that went under, that entire thing imploded, right? It, because it was not sustainable. So that's one of the main reasons. Second, Reason, of course, is that um, you, you have lockups. So in some programs, you have to lock up your tokens for a very long time. Uh, and that doesn't help. People hate, they get fidgety with that, especially given how many rugs there are. So it's 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 not only bad actors, it's just bad economics. So mm. th I think those are the main reasons that we, we have, we have, we've seen that happening. And of course, all the teams are undoxed, uh, so cannot be entirely trusted who's behind the platform if something goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the primary risks associated with investing in blockchain? Because I mean, we've kind of talked about some negative things here. So, you know, these are tied to the risk. But, and then how do how do investors evaluate some of these risks to, to make sure that they're not actually falling into some of these scammy, um, exciting, but super scammy uh, investment opportunities? Okay. The way we do it is we have pots. We have a pot of capital. So if you have Again, this is just, it's not investment advice, just kind of what, what we do. And we have been burnt just this week. We lost $10,000 in an MEV bot, um, stupid us. In hindsight, you know, the, the signs were there, but the best way to do it is have a pot and out of the $100 that you want to invest, literally do not look anywhere else than the top three or four or five cryptocurrencies that have multi-billion dollar market caps, dogs, teams, years of history. Yes, you're not going to make two, three, four, five X, but in the boom, you're going to make money. Mm. And that should be the predominant part of your pot if you're playing in this space, right? Then you have to have a pot, your kind of fantasy pot, if you want to call it your degen pot, where you want to have a bit of fun. And you have some projects like meme coins that you want to invest in, and you should. Like, you know, why would you not want to miss out 100x? But just know that out of the $100 pot, $10 is going to go into the meme coins, and only one is going to work, and the rest are going to tank very painfully. If you can do that, you, you are fine. Now, of course, the other way is to take the painstaking time to due diligence every project very carefully, try and have calls like this, request to get to know the team. But the unfortunate thing about that is you've seen how quickly things can 10x in this space, and then you miss out, right? And it's that fear of missing out that people basically throw too much money at really shitty opportunities. It's just the misallocation. So get the allocation right. Understand that you are going to lose uh, on more opportunities than you're going to win, but the ones that you win on should cover the losses. And that's kind of how responsibly you, you, you can grow it over time. And it's almost like, um, 
yeah, just one small thing I want to say is the narratives are running out in blockchain. I don't know if you've discussed this before with your previous guests, but there was always a narrative or a collection of narratives that rode, that caused the waves the previous runs. Like DeFi didn't exist before 2021 and how big that was. Mm. You had so many protocols and all the staking and the narrative there was that banks are hiding the true profits they're making from your cash deposits. Actually, DeFi is the real thing. You can make 30, 50, 60, 80% a month or crazy stuff like that. That imploded. So, but there are some good principles that came out of DeFi, like for mm. example, Uniswap is a is a fantastic protocol, um, and there are you know there's serious liquidity there with serious institutions transacting there, uh, hundreds of thousands of traders every day that are buying and selling, so good things came out of it. But the narratives are becoming less and less. So and you need narratives to get those 20, 30, 40 x's. So you need to really hone in on what do you think that next narrative is? Is it GameFi? Is it DeFi? Is it NFTs? Is it Metaverse? Um, is it, you know, move to earn or whatever it's called? Is it wherever that next narrative is, if you get in early, you can hit it big. Do you have an indication or an idea of what the next narrative might be? <laughs> I, I wish I could, I wish I could say, I mean, it's, you know, we, we have been searching for this as well, because it is in hindsight, it's always easy to say, okay, well, that was the narrative for this, but I don't, for example, I don't think GambleFi. You know, people are saying that in this run, GambleFi will be big, the gambling apps and, and yeah. blockchain. GameFi will be big. Yeah, there will be a few unicorns that make it, but I'm not really seeing that because GameFi um, has not worked so far. It's, and that narrative has been around. If you look at Illuvium, it was there in the previous uh, boom yeah. as well. The answers, I don't know. At this moment, we are searching. Uh, you'll be the first person to, to hear. You know, I can send you an email the moment we find one. Um, but that's why we're so stuck in yield. Right now, we're just, we're just chasing yield. Uh, we want to beat inflation, we want to make a good double-digit return. Uh, and I know this sounds crazy, but right now, just, just my own personal bet is, I believe once ETF gets approved, there may be a bit of selling on the news with, you know, with Bitcoin and Ethereum stuff, but that is a seminal moment in, 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 in blockchain. And some of these big uh, people that now no longer exist, like John McAfee or whatever, and even Michael Saylor, no, he's not dead, but you know he's been very bullish on Bitcoin. They have said that Bitcoin will hit a million dollars. And once ETFs are approved, it paves the way for such type of exponential prices right. uh, over the long term. Um, you know, my, again, this is not investment advice. My personal um, and also that of Hatchworks is we think Bitcoin will easily challenge its previous all-time high. Mm. Uh, it will have trouble breaking that, but it will break that and may even go to 100 to 130 in the next bull run. And long term, you know, those returns are good enough for us. Uh, as an investment house. So yeah. I, yeah, in answer to your question, I think at this moment, that is a pretty strong narrative, bringing the institutions in into the big plays here. And then later you, you'll get more narratives. For example, AI, I think AI is interesting, but it's also so overcrowded now, right? There's so yeah. much AI going around the blockchain. Where do you find that one very special project? I think, I yeah, I think that's what's interesting. Um, you know, you kind of, the AI thing kind of happened when we were still in very much of a bear market in crypto. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And now we're seeing some of these, you know, I spent a lot of time in Solana and uh, we're seeing yeah. some of these meme coins, just like bonk, for example, just going absolutely crazy <laughs> or bonkers as they say. Bonkers, it's, yeah, yeah. it's interesting to see Solana kind of stepping back into, into the limelight after dealing with such challenges. But, and, and I think it's interesting when you say like, you know, like maybe we'll see a sell the new situation where right now people are buying the rumor of the Bitcoin ETF application and, and January 10th being kind of the day in which that happens uh, or 
the yeah. news will happen. And, and then, and I've heard from a few people who think, well, there might be a big sell off uh, as that happens. Because from what I understand as well, and, and maybe you can confirm this, is that the, the um, investment advisors who would be buying the Bitcoin ETF won't have access to it right away. It's not like it just turns on. No. Their brokerages and things like that have to go through a due diligence process to potentially allow them to start buying it. So it's not like we're going to see an enormous amount of cash into the market right away. That's a good point. That's a very good point. There's this la this lag period, absolutely. I think realistically, if the ETF gets approved, I don't think it'll happen in January, let's say March, April, May, June, maybe June of next year, something like that. By the time this all gets investment ready en masse, I think it could be end of next year. We just don't know. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. So are you, you said Solana. If you don't mind me asking, are you um, are you a fan of Orca uh, and the, the DEXs? And are you also doing um, LPing there or no? So I use, I don't use, I use, I hold Orca um, as a token, but I primarily use Jupiter um, okay. in trading, which I think has been excellent. I think Phantom Wallet is a super simple uh, wallet to use, um, okay. which is the main wallet people use in Solana, which, uh, which I think is much more user-friendly than maybe MetaMask. Okay. Um, and um, I, I like to trade some DeFi um in solana as well as um decentralized storage i think is really interesting in solana with a company called um genesis go or their token being shadow um and we're seeing such an influx of cash in solana right now and and i guess what a lot of people believe is happening is that we see a lot of ethereum fans uh kind of moving some of their some of their money into solana yep. to start buying some of these tokens and, and airdrop farming i think is, is a big name in the game right now in solana as we see you know especially a brand like jupiter doing an airdrop coming up probably i think in january um so these are exciting times in in these i should check out jupiter then i should check out jupiter have you what are your thoughts on neon I don't know much about it. Um, I hear people talk about it, but I don't know no. much about it. This is the challenge, hey. There's so many projects <laughs> that it's you're you're like, what? There's a, there's another one. How many? How many? I know. How many tokens should I own? What's the right I amount? Know. How many things can I pay attention to? I know, um, I know. I know exactly what you mean. Um, I know exactly. Okay, so when we look at transparency. Uh, I think this is one of the interesting things about blockchain is there's this element of pseudo anonymity and transparency and open source um, and transparency is a critical part of investing. Um, how can investors ensure the transparency and accountability of projects offering high yield opportunities um, in blockchain, especially when we're thinking about like, well, people are undoxed and we don't know who they are and all this nonsense. Yeah. Very good question. So obviously straight off the bat, yeah make sure the team is doxxed and not just photos on a website, go to their LinkedIn profiles, request calls. And obviously if you're investing $100 or $50, you, you don't need to do this. But if you're going to be parking a significant amount, a few thousand dollars or whatever, it's the, the, the least the team can do is get on a video call and show them they exist. These are some, these are very basic, um, no nonsense, sort of basic common sense things that one can mm. do that you would do with any high yield investment program or anything you invest in is KYC the team. Make sure they have a business trading address. Where is it based? Uh, look at their history. If you Google someone and you don't see anything about them, that's a big red flag, right? Are they even using their real name? So, but is this team been around? Is it a public people backing it? Um, have they been around for a while? Have they have different? Then that's all fine. Do they have negative or positive reviews? When you're actually making the investment and it's a decentralized product, the good thing about decentralized products is there's on-chain proof. So if the mm -hmm. team is telling you that they generate yield by placing your capital, 
on a DEX, right? And they take a cut and they give it back to you and all that. Then say, okay, show me the proof that my money has gone and been placed in a liquidity pool. Show me the transaction hash and show me that, and that's it. And if the team can provide that, it's good. I can tell you straight off the bat, right now there's an influx of so-called robo-advisors who are saying they've cracked the code and they're trading Bitcoin on DEXs and they're making one to two, three percent a day. One to three percent a day is 300% a year more, four or 500%. And those are 100% Ponzi schemes. There's, mm. It's just unsustainable. Um, as much as I wish it was real, it is not real. And if you ask them for proof of returns, they'll just show you a screenshot saying that, look, I traded Solana today, I made 14%. That's bullshit, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just as well. Ask them for the on-chain proof, show me the trades. And you know, that's that's something we provide, for example. Users don't ask us for it, but the beauty is we can just provide it. We have the Uniswap links. Right. So let's get into let's get into Phoenix. So what is Phoenix? Who are who are you guys? And 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 what's your what's unique about you versus the millions of other Web three or Web two point five projects out there? Okay. So there are a myriad of staking platforms, staking projects out there. You can do liquid staking. You can do your traditional Ethereum staking where you earn three, four, five, six percent a year, whatever. And you're kind of geared to the price of the underlying asset as well. You have impermanent loss and all that. What we are basically doing is saying, listen, that all exists out there. Go for your 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80% APY a year. Work with Undocs teams and have your fun. It may rug, it may do well. That's a market we don't cater to. We mark, we cater to serious people who are looking at their bank balances, lose real purchasing power every year because of what's happening to the cost of living, inflation, all of that. And these are serious problems people face in the economy because their bank isn't paying them enough return. And they understand blockchain or they want to get into blockchain, but they don't want to put all their money in Bitcoin and just hope for the best. Mm. What we basically do is Phoenix gives you that minimal exposure to Ethereum and Bitcoin by making you into a liquidity provider. You don't do anything. We don't expect you to trade or do anything. You just register the platform, send us an email or get it set up yourself. There's an instructional video. And then you would basically deposit an X amount of funds. The minimum deposit is 100. And within about one or two hours, your capital is placed on one of two major DEXs. One of them is Uniswap. And basically, you become a liquidity provider. Our software sets the ranges. And you probably know from being an LP how the ranges are set. We manage impermanent loss. We manage all those things. And basically, your fees start accumulating the moment your capital is placed. Uh, you earn a fee as a liquidity provider for providing liquidity to other traders on DEXs. And that typically translates to around 7 to 22%, that type of range yield per year in USDC, not some phantom token or anything like that. And it's very important to note that your capital is not locked up. Your fees are withdrawable anytime, and so is your capital. If you ask us for on-chain proof to show how your deposits have been added to the pool, that's something we, preserve, we provide you. If at the end of the day you say, okay, show me all the transactions, every single trade that went through through Uniswap or went through through Trader Joe or whatever, DYDX, whatever platform your software is using, and prove to me that I've you've generated my yield, we'll say, here's a report. Here's a CSV. And that's really unique. Now, what what's the, the, ups the upshot there is that you can make 20, 22% a year in a best case scenario if you're in the higher risk pool, or you make in the very low risk pool, seven to 10% a year. That might not excite a lot of people, but actually this is something that is very sustainable over the long run. It's as long as you believe that Uniswap is gonna be around and some of these big decks are gonna be around, 
Phoenix is going to be around and it's going to be a tried and tested product. That's that's what we, we basically do. A lot of people, some people come to us and say, okay, well, I don't, I don't, I know how to LP. I know how to LP on Uniswap. I know how to LP on Orca. I know how to LP on all these platforms. Why do I need you? And we literally tell them, you don't need us. You, If you are spending your day managing impermanent loss and knowing when to recalibrate your pools and you know how to set your ranges and you understand TA and macro events and all these things, by all means, do it. But if you just want to press a button and mm-hmm. you want Phoenix to take care of this, then yeah, you pay a management fee to the to the app. The app takes a fee, but then you are you can do everything else with your spare time. You can do whatever you want. So it's truly passive investing and a reliable team that is pretty well known on the internet. I mean, you can Google the team members and we're not hiding in some sort of dark cavern, you know, with mining rigs next to us and just waiting to rock. We're there and we're going to be around for the next few years. So that's the kind of upside and downside of kind of using Phoenix, if that makes sense. And, and Kay, are, are people sending in USDC to invest or do they send in, in uh, fiat currency? Yeah, so at this moment, it's uh, ETH, USDC, USDT. Uh, and just the other day, I, I held a webinar. Uh, they've requested Bitcoin Lightning, BTC Lightning. So we're integrating that as well. Next year, we're going to be adding some payment service providers. So you can also use fiat to deposit to the platform. But at the moment, it's just it's just that. For and, and- larger transactions, so we have, for example, someone who put in over 100,000 in the pool. They said, can we do a bank wire? And that's something we, we arranged for as well. We have banking institutions, uh, reputable banks that will accept this money. But we, of course, for those type of things, we get a legal contract in place Yeah, just because of the size. And of course, fiat is involved. And um, Kay, are you uh, allowing customers to choose? You kind of reference different risk categories. Are customers allowed to choose the, the risk tolerance? Absolutely. So that's the good news is we, what we advise customers is join the Telegram group, uh, sign up to the app, don't deposit. Watch it for the first, watch for the next three months, ask your questions. When you are ready, put in your first hundred dollars. That's the minimum because of gas fees. Before, under that, we just lose money on, on yeah. doing the deposit. So then you basically see how that does for the next three, four months. And when you're happy, that's when you can go in bigger. And you have three categories at this moment. We're going to add a fourth one. The third one is very, very low risk. So I, I'll give you some some numbers around that. It's called buffer. That pool is basically set very widely uh, on the DEXs. And that means that you provide liquidity across a very wide range. Your exposure to movements in the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum is very low. Uh, What that means basically is if you deposit $1,000 and Bitcoin goes down by 20%, the temporary impact on your capital, the value for capital, will drop by approximately 2 to 4%. Mm. That's that's your exposure. If Bitcoin goes up by twenty percent, you only make around two percent, one or two yeah. percent. And while that's happening, you're earning fees, and in that pool, you'll basically make around seven to ten percent a year. That pool is actually doing ahead of target returns. It's at around ten or eleven percent right now. So we're happy to see that. That's for the low risk investor that wants to have no sleepless nights whatsoever. And this is net returns. So this is net fees and everything. But of course, pre tax, and you should always pay your taxes. So yeah. you have that. Of course, for the people that want to have a bit more "quote unquote" fun, and they're like, "Okay, well, ten percent doesn't really cut it. I want to get closer to 13 14 percent." We have the medium tier, and same thing like buffer. You have a bit more exposure to the underlying prices, and then as right now we have the highest risk tier, which basically means if Bitcoin drops by ten percent or Ethereum drops by ten percent, 
your value of your capital drops by 5% or 6%. So that's pretty exposed to the price. There, you will make around 20% return a year, around 17, 20% USDC, but you have that exposure to those prices. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'll be completely upfront with you. We have investors who don't like that exposure. So as I, you know, I, I put in 5,000, 6,000. I don't like to see an in, impermanent loss on my capital of $600 or $700 or whatever. And what we basically tell them is buffer is your pool. Go for the lowest risk one. Yeah. There you're going to have very little IO and you'll just be earning mm. capital. That's, a, that's excellent. Um, and so when customers are um, investing with you, the, another thing I just wanted to, to clarify, you had mentioned that there is no minimum kind of deposit period. They can pull out their cash whenever they want. Am I understanding that right? That's correct. And that's a really, really important, and I'm glad you brought the point up. So that's there is no lockup. If you deposit this morning, uh, typically deposits, depending on the size, they can be reflected immediately, but they can happen at the end of the day. Basically, our team does it three times a day. They recalibrate the, they add your liquidity to the pool three times a day. If you want to withdraw, you just put in a withdrawal request, and that immediately gets registered uh, on chain, and you you get your withdrawal too. There is no lockup or anything like that. Mm. We, we don't want your capital, to be clear. We never hold your capital. Your capital is literally parked on the world's possibly most audited smart contract in the world, never hacked before, Uniswap. So that's the thing. And also your fees, that's important to note. Your fees are yours to withdraw at any time you want. Mm. And Kate, uh, it seems like from kind of the uh, using Uniswap, are you primarily buying EVM tokens? Okay, so we are buying pre predominantly either USDT, USDC, uh, and Ethereum, predominantly, and WBTC, which is the way, the the wrapped Bitcoin. Yeah, the wrapped exactly wrapped Bitcoin. Okay, so, so we keep that because we want to keep it permanent loss low. Okay, excellent, interesting. Um, and uh, as far as uh, people finding <clears throat> Phoenix. Um, you mentioned a Telegram group. Um, where are you on Twitter or where, where is the best places to get to get in touch with you guys? Absolutely. Good question. So you can send an email to team at phoenix.io. Uh, sorry, team at phoenixapp.io. I forgot my own email address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't send it to, I don't know who phoenix.io is. So team at phoenixapp.io. Um, join our Telegram channel. The link to that is on our website, which is www.phoenixapp.io. Um, God, I, get, I forget my, my website's name. But yeah, um, I'm sure you linked it, you linked it in, in the description when you can. But Absolutely. yeah, so you can find the Telegram there, uh, send us an email. Um, and, that's, and then, of course, there's a contact uh, form as well on our website. We're very responsive. So once you get inside the Telegram channel, everything is answered real time. And yes, we are on Twitter, but on Twitter, we just post kind of updates. Excellent. Um, Kay, before we wrap up, what, what is kind of your last thoughts on, on where we're going with, um, with the state of blockchain today? Um, what, is it, what is exciting you most um, to leave our listeners with? I think that the good news is that the ETFs have not yet happened. So, you know, take from that whatever you, you must. You know, we, mm. I have been in now two, two or three cycles. I'm not an OG. I'm not a Bitcoin OG from 2008, 2009. But um, we... That's going to be a seminal moment, and I, I personally believe that will have a very good uh, impact on the space as a whole. It will become much more reliable, much more trustable. There will always be scams to build much more innovation because a lot of institutional capital is coming as well. A lot of serious teams will be also coming to the space, and that also means there will be much more 
and much many more investment opportunities. I do believe that. Um, I also believe that over the long run, all these price predictions that seem crazy at one point. Remember the McAfee one where he said he would eat it, he would eat his own penis if Bitcoin didn't hit one million. <laughs> um, you know, he he's dead. But you know, I I, I genuinely believe long term that that's not impossible. Yes, it could take 10, 15 years, but it's not impossible. Mm. Um, and I think that we haven't yet missed out um, the real build, the big boom, boom runs yeah. yet. So that's for me is good news. Um, I would say that the narratives are reducing. So that's something that I, it's a bit sad to see, right? Uh, if one hasn't made a lot of money in the previous, there will be less and less narratives, but um, it's there, there will be enough. So stay on the lookout. Don't just shun away the entire space mm. because you know your your retail bank tells you oh bitcoin is bad do your research and come into the space learn as much um hopefully you know watch jared's podcast as well to learn a lot about solana and look at these other platforms as well um and yeah that's that's what i would say i love it Okay, that's great. A man who comes from traditional finance and moving into blockchain um, from Phoenix app. Um, it's really great to chat with you here today, Kay, and learn and uh, get an understanding of kind of a bit of a, a macro landscape as to what blockchain looks like and where we're going and also understanding what you guys are doing with Yield in Phoenix. I really appreciate your time and being with me here today. Thank you, Jared, for your time. It was a really good chat. Thank you for having me. Thank you.